Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 132. Hello, greetings, how are you? What's up? It is Thursday, August 24th at 1.40pm. I suspect it's going to take a while before you get around to hearing this podcast. I am at the new house, next door to the old house. I'm in my temporary office over here that I use to work out of when I'm doing house chores or dealing with contractors, as we are today. That is my chair. That is the blinds. I'm opening them up. About two weeks ago, the UPS guy left a package at the gate. This house has a gate. It's lovely. And uh, I didn't see the box. And the gate opens automatically. And the gate opened, and it hit the box, and it broke the gate, and it cost me thousands of dollars, and they're fixing the gate today. There's a silver lining. The gate will now have Wi-Fi, and it will be able to be used from my phone, and I can give people codes. So that'll be nice, but you know, the gate was fine the way it was, and I would rather have not spent thousands of dollars on the gate. But the gate is an integrated part of the deer fence, and it can only be open all the time or closed all the time until it's fixed, and I can't have it closed all the time because then I can't get in. And I can't have it open all the time because then the deer will come. So we're getting it fixed. I have a tenant now. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you this, but this house is uh, zoned for multi-use commercial residential. It has a fully legal basement commercial unit in it with handicap parking and wheelchair accessible, the whole bit, separate entrance, completely private from the house. And a friend of a friend introduced us. Actually, that's not true. Emma posted it on Facebook, and someone contacted us, and uh, that person turned out to be a friend of a friend. So that was nice. She is a neurodivergent affirming pediatric speech therapist, and she has some kids in there, and it's quite fun. I can't hear or see them, but it makes me happy to know it's being used for a good cause. Yeah, I looked at the calendar and it seems I have not talked to you since 4th of July weekend, which isn't too bad. That's uh, only one and a half months or so. (laughs) I have my old computer set up at this house and I got this blue snowball microphone that's exactly like the one I have at home. It was a work microphone and it was sent to me as part of the office cleanup. And uh, so I'm using it here on this old setup. And it's kind of nice and nostalgic. I have a new computer at home. It's a Mac Studio. It's awesome. That's something that happened since I last talked to you, I think. And it's great. And the old one is now over here at the other house. But I don't have a good mic stand, so I'm just sitting here holding the mic in front of my face. (laughs) Which is kind of ridiculous, but that's what I'm doing. Uh, Yeah, I've taken the week off from meetings at work. I'm still working. But I've taken the week off from meetings. Uh, Being a CEO, I've decided this is what I can do once a quarter or so. Other CEOs go off on Himalayan adventures without their phone or some shit. That's not for me. I uh, still check email. I'm still on Slack. In fact, I have a Slack right now from an employee. Let's see what it says. Oh, 
Just client channels, BFG Games and Tinder. Oh, no, Nimbus Sales. Uh, account manager for Instacator will be Joyce Hu and is ready for the account team. Great. Publisher support. New support ticket. Tinder low rate has been created in the support. Uh, tech and SDK support groups. Well, that's all very exciting. Uh, I'm working on an app bug. Okay, Big Fish Games. All very exciting. Uh, just do some work with you guys here. That is about it. Oh, nope, one more. Do we have a Dun & Bradstreet number? We do. Let me just get that for our CTO. I'll be right back. All right, I'll set there. Pass along that Dun & Bradstreet number. Important stuff. The only people in the world to use Dun & Bradstreet numbers anymore are Apple. It's really annoying. Apple in general, really annoying. Not a fan anymore of their uh, enterprise business. Which is funny, I used to do a lot of work for their enterprise business. I guess I still do in my own special way. But I digress. Life's been pretty good. No meeting week has been great. Makes me not want to go back to having meetings. Even though I recognize that meetings are very useful. And I find it very tedious. People who are always like, did this have to be a meeting? And we would have saved more money if... Blah, 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 blah. One second. Okay, we're done with that. We're done with some insurance stuff as well. I did all our insurance applications for the year. It's probably my least favorite day of the year, honestly. I hate doing the insurance applications. It's so painful. And I do them all by myself every year. Ugh, it's a lonely job. I got to do the health plan this week as well. Oh, man. You know, it's funny to think about tech CEOs that just give all this stuff to some admin they found and met at a bar and called the admin and then promoted them to people ops. And, and they're like, here, handle the health plan. Here, handle the insurance. And they don't think about it because they're really into outsourcing everything. And, uh, you know, I know some of those people and they've turned into like real, real experts, leading experts in their field after 10 or 20 years that started out as the admin to a crappy ass tech CEO who picked him up at a bar and gave him a job. So I guess it works, but that's just not how I roll. You know, I got to do my own insurance. I got to do my own health plan election <laughs> because I'm a glutton for punishment. I'm a glutton for punishment. Anyway, work comes later in the podcast. We were going to be starting with news and updates uh, where do I start? I don't know, man. Let's see. Sinead O'Connor died. That was really sad. I've been really sad about it. Uh, you may recall, I listened to all her albums last year, and I told you all about it. It turns out I missed a few. I missed the reggae album and the gospel album and the Irish folk songs album. I listened to all of those in the last week. They're all really good, man. I bet you did not see that coming. The reggae album, it's awesome. Anyway, I've been really sad about Sinead O'Connor dying. I read her autobiography, and it's really bummed me out more than most celebrity deaths. Summer's been relentless and hot. We're on like our 20th straight day of 90-degree weather with no rain. It's pretty exhausting. All the plants are shriveled up. Uh, yeah, it's pretty rough, but our neighbor has a pool, and we go over there every weekend, and that's kind of nice, and, uh, you know... It's hot, man. I was doing a lot of work outside, getting the, the yard prepped at the new house for the greenhouse. It's all ready now. Now I'm just waiting for the excavator to come. I got the greenhouse kit. I got all the brush cleared. I got the grass killed. It was a lot of work. I got a lot of chigger bites. A lot of chigger bites. 
Uh, our friend Alice visited, stayed in the new house. Our friend uh, Nick and Megan came back again. They stayed in the new house. The guest house is awesome. The guest house is free. I love this house, man. I haven't had a moment's regret on buying it, even though it has significantly increased our short-term financial precarity, owning two houses for no good reason. But A+, plus, would recommend, would do again. It's great. It's just great working on the house all the time. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll tell you about it. It's crazy. I bought a greenhouse. It's a kit, but it's 20 by 12, 13 feet. And it's super goth and it's black and it's got those Victorian pointed things. And uh, I got it all laid out where it's going to go. And I had the first meeting with the excavator. And one week ago, he said he'd be here in two weeks to flatten the ground. I picked out the block to build the base wall for it. And then, you know, since I'm a partner in a pool <laughs> contracting company that includes hardscaping, my partners and the crew are going to come over and build the wall. And then we'll build the greenhouse and I'll get water and electric into it. It's going to be amazing. Hopefully that's done by the end of September. Then I can start the long process of bringing Brody's beds and soil into the greenhouse. And I can garden all winter. I'm very excited about that. And uh, yeah, I got a structural engineer over here recently. So I've got everything figured out with the attic mostly. I'm still waiting for his final plans. They'll be here next week. The gate repair people are here today. I had the HVAC all changed out, put in a heat pump for the credit the tax credit and also moved all the HVAC duct work in the attic into the eaves. So it wasn't along the middle of the floor. So I still need to move a couple, need to move a couple poles. That's what the structural engineer is working on. And I have a stove vent and a bathroom vent that I need to get moved rerouted. And then I will have a giant empty attic where I will slowly begin the tedious process of tearing up the floor taking out the insulation, putting in new rock wool safe and sound, floating the floor on Oralex floor floating foam bracket things, and then replacing the floor uh, plywood, base wood, whatever it's called, and then uh, adding the hardwood and then spray foaming the attic. This is not the right order. Then doing electrical, then spray foaming the attic ceiling and then milling the wood for the attic ceiling at my friend Rocky's lot where he is clearing it and says I can have all the wood I want and they've got a mill there and then I'll take it here and I'll plane it and put the tongue and groove in it and put it up on the attic ceiling and then I will have my oh I gotta stain it somewhere in there and then I should have a recording studio and it's gonna take another year but it's going and it's awesome and I'm very into it I'm gonna do some practice flooring in the room next door it's got carpet I need to have wood in it that's actually gonna be my final office I'm in a temporary office across the hallway this is gonna be the theater room for the guests so that's that's uh, my next project I bought a flooring stapler and a pneumatic uh, what do you call those things compressor <laughs> I love the compressor oh my god I bought two air guns for it oh it's so satisfying and I bought some nail guns buying a lot of hardware. I bought some cool speakers to put everywhere. I bought some really awesome Klipsch hi-fi speakers at an estate sale, and I bought a cool tiger statue for the place. Learning about flooring, learning about compressors, learning about nail guns, learning so much stuff. It's very satisfying. I like working on this place a lot. I got to get the flooring now. It's uh, kind of a pain. I, I was going to do different flooring in there, and then I decided I wanted to match the flooring, and oh, I, I don't know. I got to go find the... I have a sample board, but it's like 
Not quite right. It's really weird. I don't really know what's up with it. So, but I think it's close enough to right that I could take it to the a floor and be like, "Yo, what's this floor? Can I get floor that looks like this but thinner?" I don't know. I'm gonna try that. I guess maybe I'll go tomorrow to the flooring place. <laughs> yeah, all right, I'll do that tomorrow. But yeah, the house—it's pretty satisfying. It keeps me sane. It makes me happy. Uh, it makes me never want to travel again. Uh, I wish people would come visit more. Come visit. Come stay in the house. It's lovely. You'll love it. It's got the workshop and the garage is really coming along. The garden's coming along. Yeah, by fall it should be in a really nice shape, and by next year it's going to be amazing. If I'm still alive, my health has gone to pot as usual. My blood pressure has been through the fucking roof this week. I don't know why. I applied for life insurance. My blood pressure has been great all year in like 100 over 80 or something. And I apply for life insurance and I'm really stressed out because, you know, I take edibles to deal with my neck sometimes. And I told them that, but I didn't want to like have a blood test where I was like, I don't know, whatever. I was paranoid. I was being all healthy before the blood test. And uh, she comes over and does the blood and urine and then she takes my blood pressure and it's 150 over 90, which is like I should be dead. And it's been that way all week. I mean, sometimes it's down to 120 over 90, but even the lowest things I've gotten in the last week are higher than anything I got in the last year. And so I'm absolutely confident I failed the life insurance exam, which sucks because I needed to get life insurance for Emma, for me, for Emma. And that's not happening. And my blood pressure, blood pressure's through the roof. I don't know, man. I told my doctor, my fingers are falling apart. They hurt a lot. I got them x-rayed. It's calcification from a previous injury. I can only assume the injury is when I stole Adrian Grenier's limo at a wedding and dislocated my finger while getting out at 4 a.m. and shoved it back into its socket in the elevator at the W Hotel in San Francisco. Except for I thought it was the next finger down, but I guess it was that finger. I don't know, man. I can't bend them. It sucks. I'm they're, Two of my fingers on my left hand are splinted now. I've had tennis elbow for seven months. Probably bitched about that in the last... Uh, Good morning. You know, what is this called? The Web Chatham Report. <laughs> In the last podcast, I probably bitched about that. My shoulder hurts sometimes. I don't know. I feel like I'm going to die soon. I think about my mortality a lot. It's really depressing. I got to stop doing it. I got a daughter. I got to live a long time. I need to go back on the weight drugs, but they cost $3,000 a month, and I don't have that kind of spare cash at this moment. And isn't that just so fucking America? Ain't that America for you and me? Those weight drugs, man, they're going to change the world for good or bad, but insurance will not be able to handle it. They're just going to deny it. People are going to die, and then somebody's going to sue them. I don't know. It's bad. It's not good. It's not good. The whole thing's a mess. They're too expensive. I would vote for a president that put price controls on Munjaro and Wagovi. <sighs> it's just depressing. Capitalism's depressing. Working's depressing. I'm in a good mood. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Jane's good. She's gone to kindergarten in six days. I just talked to her teacher for the first time today. She's a complete lunatic. She sounds like a nut. She forgot to tell us she was in her class. She's so excited about Jane. She met her at her... Whatever you call those things. Uh, not the orientation. We already did that. And then there's this like evaluation thing that they did where they asked her to like write her name and draw a picture or something. And, you know, of course, Jane blew that out of the water. And apparently they don't put like all the smart kindergartners in one class and everybody else in other classes. I guess that's fine. I get where they're coming from. I'm a bit of a socialist at heart. But, you know, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 90% sure she's going to learn more slowly when she goes to school, and I'm not really happy about it. She's explaining to me the difference between Fahrenheit and centigrade Celsius. And uh, oh, her brilliant thing was she 
pointed out to me that sorted and assorted, sorted and assorted were opposites, and a means not. And I had never even thought about that before. And I was like, my God, this chick, this, this chick's a genius. It's crazy. She's been reading a lot. Uh, she had a lot of impulse control and, and sort of like, she still does. I mean, my God, this morning she woke up and I like sat on the wrong side of her bed and she screamed for half an hour. And she had a giant fit two days ago. But before that, for the last several months, it's been really good. And we've got some reward points games going on where she gets a point if she doesn't say no when we ask her to do something. And she gets a point if she gets something for you. And she gets a point for please and a point for thank you. And loses a point when she screams. And it's working really well. She likes points. She needs incentives. And she's like, do I get a reward? I need an incentive. And I'm like, all right. But then she doesn't really care what the incentives are. She's not like, well, I need money. She's just like, give her a sticker. It's cool. High five. That works. So that's all pretty nice, but you know, I don't know, man. I'm very stressed about kindergarten, and I wrote about this today, and like I do every time, four people write to me and say, it's going to be terrible, but you'll love it, and I'm just like, not helpful. They all say the same thing, and that's what they say. You're going to get sick. Your kid's going to get sick. The whole thing's going to be absurd, but it's going to be great, and they'll get so better, much better at socializing. And I'm like, that's, that's all Americans have anymore, man, is socializing. That's the only thing we're good at, socializing. She's already good at socializing. She just talks like a YouTuber. <laughs> like and subscribe. <laughs> She's five. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But it's good. I like her. I love her. I love her. She tells me I tell her I, I love her too much. And I tried to explain to her that people who feel love and unconditional love and know that they're always loved are more confident and happier. And she's like, oh, okay, maybe you should keep doing it then. I'm like, yeah. She's like, but you do really love me, right? I'm like, yeah, I really do. I just, you know, I say it a lot. She's like, yeah, maybe it's a little too much. I'm like, oh, well, I'm sorry, man. I don't know what to tell you. She's five and she's already a moody teenager. It's pretty cool. Uh, what else? What else? Work. Work's been very stressful. As you may recall, I sold Time Hop off, and now we just have Nimbus. And it's going okay. We sold a lot. We're trying to onboard it all. It's very stressful. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's nothing to do with the job itself. It's just sort of like, I've been doing this a long time, and... I thought I was an artist, and I want to be an artist again, and I reread Henry and June in comic book form, and now I'm like, art! All the, like, stuff about Anais and Hugo and his career at the bank trying to balance, you know, like, Hugo was, I don't know how much you know about Hugo Geiler, Anais Nin's first husband, he was a banker. But he was a, uh, he was an artist. He was, in fact, uh, sad about it his whole life, and he tried to, you know, his logic was that the bank would pay for him to have a comfortable life for him and his wife so his wife could be an artist full-time and then therefore go bone Henry Miller and a million other people and leave him, but that's beside the point. She never really left him. And uh, he would try and do art on the side. And the, he kept that up for like 20 years, and he sort of did it. But the minute he quit that stupid fucking bank, he started making films, he started doing all this other stuff, engravings, he got into the like Museum of Modern Art, he became quite successful as an artist, and I'm just like... I'm like, Hugo Geiler, my wife's going to leave me for Henry Miller. Actually, that's not true. Anais never left Hugo for Henry Miller. She left him for a forest ranger. Who she stayed married to as well for the rest of her life. Two husbands, two funerals, one husband at each funeral, both proclaiming to be her husband. At some point, she realized they were both taking her as a tax deduction. And she had to explain to them that she was still married to both of them. Told them each that they didn't, the other one didn't mean anything to her. 
But they did. And she stayed married to them both her whole life. And he spent 20 years working at a bank that he didn't want to work at. He had some pretty awesome girlfriends after, Henry, or after Anais Nin, though, but we don't talk about them because that ruins the image of Hugo Geiler. Fine man, Hugo Geiler. Were I one of those celebrities with a production deal at Netflix that they were giving out, like, candy or roofies in the early aughts, I would have done a pilot of a series about Hugo Geiler because I think he was an interesting man. But alas... I was not. And Hollywood would never take a series like that from somebody that didn't have a production deal with Netflix. That's the kind of pablum that only celebrities can sell. Yeah, anyway, that was supposed to be the work segment. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Work's fine. It's fine. I just did the insurance applications and the health insurance benefit applications my favorite part of the year it's the most wonderful time of the year i haven't replaced myself as coo so i'm still coo i'm also still the privacy officer and i'm the ceo it's a little bit of work i like no meeting week no meeting week is great i've been reading a lot of articles and books uh, I don't have a lot of projects other than the house these days. Uh, I've been trying to get Agency back, my first book, published with Paul Grave McMillan, but via Ad Age Books imprint. So I've been trying to get a hold of someone at Ad Age to get my book back. If you know anybody at Ad Age, uh, go ahead and give them a ring and tell them that Rick Webb wants his book back. They broke their contract with Paul Grave McMillan. My book is out of print. It sells decently still. Uh, I think it's an on-demand. I don't know. I want it back. I want to make a second edition. I want to do the audiobook with my fine, lilting voice. And uh, I want to make a better cover. I like the cover. Don't get me wrong. Um, I email the guy at, at age that's supposedly in charge of it. Pete. He never emails me back, even though once he told my agent that he was interested in giving it back, but he doesn't do that. And uh, then I got interviewed at AdAge for work, and at the end of the interview, I was like, can I talk to you about something not work-related? And she was like, sure. And I was like, uh, you guys published my book. Can you find someone there to give it back to me? And she told me I needed to talk to Pete. And I said, well, I've been trying to talk to Pete, but he never answers me. And then she said, we should talk to our publisher. So I got her publisher's name. I don't know if I give that to my agent. I don't want to get this guy in trouble, you know? It's tough, man. I really want my book back. That's one thing I've been working on. A lot of weird things like that, you know? I'm just minding shops over here. I deleted all my tweets. I unfollowed 2,000 people on Twitter. I never go to Twitter anymore. That's not true. I do occasionally peek at it, but I'm never tweeting again. Been really into threads. I like threads a lot. You should sign up. It's the best replacement for Twitter. People were into Blue Sky for a while, but all those people are lunatics and angry. I like people that are kind and pleasant to each other on the internet. I don't like trolling. I don't like shit posting. I'm just a normal, gentle soul, man. I don't I don't like that stuff. I like people talking about how bad Republicans are. I don't like internecine democratic arguments about various levels of enthusiasm for yimbyism and tankiness. Not my scene. Not my scene. Uh, so yeah, Threads, it's doing it for me. Supposedly any second now the web version is launching. That's pretty exciting, but uh, I haven't gotten it yet. Um, and you know, 
that's about all that's going on over here. The house. Oh, gardening. Oh, gardening. Well, my grapes yielded probably a thousand grapes. It was amazing. They were delicious. And then the squirrels ate them all. Those fucking squirrels ate all my grapes. It was really sad. And they ate most of my tomatoes. But luckily, I planted tomatoes at the new house this year. And the squirrels don't seem to be eating these tomatoes. So I did get a decent amount of tomatoes. I planted like 20 tomato bushes. And, you know, we eat like two tomatoes a week. So uh, that was fine. I got enough for us. Cucumbers killed it again this year. I'm on my second round right now. They're going gangbusters. First round, probably 50, 60 pounds of cucumbers. Carrots did great. Beets are doing great. Beans are doing really well. Pepper's doing so-so. Not as good as other years, but good. Uh, just did some bok choy for spring. Oh, yeah. I got to water everything. in the, I got a bunch of seedlings here at this house. I got to water them. But, yeah, the gardening's going well. Oh, the potatoes did really well. Yeah, the garlic. Whew, I got so much garlic. I'm going to plant even more garlic. I'm going to try and get like a thousand bulbs of garlic and then give it to the food bank or something. I don't know. If you need any garlic, I'll send you some garlic. Oh, here comes a gate guy probably to collect some money and I should go water those plants. So I'll be back in a bit. Ta-ta. Well, that was disappointing. Apparently I have this really expensive posh loop, it's called, underneath the concrete in front of my gate, and it lets you have the gate open automatically. But this guy's like, no, man, we can only have the gate open with a code or the remote or the app, but you can't have it open automatically with the loop unless you do that all the time. And I'm like, what does a company do? These people mainly do commercial, right? I'm like, what does a company do when they want the gate to open during residential hours, but not other hours? They're like, well, you can't do that. Everybody's got a code. I'm like, what? I was like, I thought I could do all of this. The guy told me I have all the hardware and you can do, quote, anything you want in the app. He's like, I don't know how the app works, man. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I'm glad I'm spending $5,000 for this. He's going to try and find out. My gate's not going to be working today. I'm like, I don't think I can have my tenant give a code to every single client she has. You know? <laughs> I'm like, she has customers, man. You don't give a code to every customer. And he's like, well, you know, that's what they do at storage units. I'm like, yeah, well, this isn't a storage unit. What do they do at doctor's offices? He's like, doctor's offices have gates? I'm like, I don't know. You're the gate, man. Yeah, I'm the gate man. Yeah, boy, wear corduroy money up to you. Okay, whatever. Uh, where was I? Gardening. Oh, yeah, all that was because of gardening. The gate's awesome because the deer can't get in here. So gardening at this off this house, way better than gardening at the other house. I really like it. It's pretty sweet. I want my gate fixed. So that's my life these days. It's a good life. I wish I was, you know doing more exciting stuff. I wish the pandemic was gone. I wish I could travel without getting sick. Even though I like my house and I don't really want to travel. I want to go to Boston. I want to go to New York. I want to be everywhere at once without leaving my home. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. A grain of sand. Yeah, that's the thing with me, man. It's like, this is the best choice to make in life. And I don't regret it. And I'm making the right choice. But it's still all choice. Every choice is sacrifice. Every decision you make is shutting a bunch of doors on some cool shit you could be doing otherwise. And I've never been able to come to terms with that. It's hard, you know? It's hard. And I'm getting old, and there's more shit I want to do. But the most important thing I wanted to do was raise a daughter. And I'm doing it, and it takes a lot of time. And if I didn't get started now, it would have gotten later and later. So I had to do that. And you know what? 
Assuming nothing goes terribly wrong in the next six days, I will have successfully spent her entire five years before school at home with her. She will always have that. She will always remember her dad was around, and I'm pretty proud of that. So now that that's done, I'm going to leave town for like nine months. No, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm going to Boston to see Peter Gabriel in three weeks, though. That'll be good. So, yeah, I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm sick. I'm well. I'm in love. I'm loved. Life is good. Life is terrible. The world is good. The world is bad. Any minute now, we're going to see a mugshot of our former president, which is deeply satisfying and horribly horrific. It's a crazy time. It's a crazy world. But I'm feeling all right. Let's talk about media. (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't even know how to do this. I know last time I kind of half-assed it, and I had this idea. This time I wouldn't half-ass it, and I would go through it all. But it's just so much. And I don't even know how much of it I remember. But we're going to try. One thing that did not happen a whole lot was reselling UHD and 4K Blu-rays on eBay. I only sold one. It was the European edition of Henry and June, which is very coincidental because I had just read the graphic novel adaptation of Henry and June. So I've been thinking a lot about Anais Nin again lately. Uh, I might watch the movie again, but I don't think so. I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's back in my head and I'm, I'm good with it. Um, I do want to drop a line to what's your name though and ask about what's happening to the estate now that Rupert has passed and whether there will be a final volume of the unexpurgated diaries. Kim Kurzan, that's who I was thinking of. One of the screenwriters on Waking Life, Richard Linklater's animated film, and Before Sunrise with Julie Delpy. She's an Anais Nin expert and she's uh, seen the diaries in person at UCLA and I'm very jealous of that. Of course, I own a copy of the diaries hand annotated by Gunther Stallman, the editor of Anais and, uh, and Henry and June and uh, Anais herself, but she's seen them all and I only have one. That's not true. I have like 30 volumes. I have a lot of them. Moving on. I added a bunch of stuff to Plex, but I forgot to list it here because as I was working on my notes for this, I realized that I forgot I had done a podcast in... July, and I was going all the way back to April, and that was not useful. Openplex. Openplex. Here we are in Plex. If you are a Plex user, uh, drop me a line, and we can share libraries. I have added a bunch of films since July. I am loading it up now. A little bit slow. One of the projects I'm going to do is run fiber optic cable between these two houses, but currently I'm using two separate internet connections, and it's kind of a nightmare. I bought the trenching tool and everything. I just got to get around to doing it. I was uh, having some trouble figuring out if I needed gel-filled fiber optic cable or not, and I realized I'm not going to bother because the cable company doesn't bother, and uh, the people that sell the fiber optic cable are like, yeah, you know, if you have a rodent problem, you might want to do it. But I'm like, well, the cable company just leaves this cable on the ground. They don't even bury it. (laughs) and they haven't been chewed up and also it's so much cheaper so you know why bother with the gel filled at all I could just buy a cable again if I had to anyway new movies since July Decision to Leave Korean police drama very awesome The Lives of Others Sorcerer 
The Little Mermaid 2023 in 4K. Did not enjoy that. We'll talk about that later. Shoplifters 2018. Guardians of the Galaxy 2023, Volume 3. Crater on Disney. Was on Disney Plus. Got pulled. Made me angry. 4K. Uh, has that woman from Ghostbusters in it. And I really like her songs. McKenna Grace is her name. She's got a great song called Haunted House that I really like. Jojo Rabbit 2019. Turn Every Page. The Adventures of Robert Caro and Robert Gottlieb 2022. Great movie. Sound of Metal 2020. Singles 1992. Time Bandits 1981 4K. Fast X 2023 4K. Uncut Gems 2019 4K. The Goldfinch 2019. Black Mama White Mama 1973. Mario Brothers 2023 4K. Tried to watch that. Couldn't. John Wick Chapter 4 2023 4K. Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, 2023, 4K. Renfield, 2023, 4K. Naked Lunch, 1992. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, 4K. 65, 2023, 4K. Dragon Slayer, 1981, 4K. I think that's where we left off last time, if I recall. Yeah, those are the movies that have been added to Plex. Enjoy! Uh, Discogs. Nobody buys CDs anymore. It's very interesting. I forgot to turn on my store back on for a long time after a trip, and I turned it on maybe a month ago, and since then I've only sold two CDs, so nobody cares anymore about CDs, which is, I don't really blame them. I was kind of shocked they cared for them as long as they did. I still have about a thousand CDs, and they don't seem to be selling anymore, so now I need to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of them. I sold like 2,000, though, so they all went to good homes, and I enjoyed that process as something that I spent a lot of time on and made a bunch of money. But it's over. It's over now. Must have been love, but I lost it somehow. I sold the Masters of Tweak, which was like a blippy electronica thing. Uh, we handled the mastering and manufacture for that at a job I had at a company called Profit Sound in Boston in 1997. I told the guy that bought it all that. He didn't care. He didn't talk to me. And Tunnel Vision Factory Records Band, I sold the CD, retrospective of theirs, on Factory Benelux, to a guy that didn't want me to ship it to him for like weeks, and then I never heard from him again, even though he paid me the 25 bucks, after I had to report him for non-payment, because he didn't pay me for a month. Then he paid me and said, don't ship it for another month, and I'm like, dude, okay, and then I waited the month, and he didn't, finally, I just threw it in the mail. I was like, you know what, not my problem. <laughs> Like I was annoying. I'm kind of glad I'm not a Discog seller anymore. Although, of course, someday I'll probably sell all my records because I have a terrible habit and it needs to be broken and it's awful and I buy too many records. As you will soon see when we get to that part, which actually I guess is right now because I did not go to any shows since I last talked to you. So now we've moved on to the vinyl part, which is out of control. Honestly, okay, so it's been like six weeks, but still... 45 records <laughs> in six weeks. Tim Hecker, ambient electronica artist, no highs. Very good. I think it was a soundtrack. Very solid. I loved it. The new Swans, The Beggar. Awesome. Fantastic. Autograph copy. Bought it off the Swans website. Does not include the 45-minute song on the third disc of the CD version. That's okay, though. That's a great song, but I didn't need it. Uh, love it. I want to listen to that again, actually. Uh, Blackpink. Blackpink. My daughter's new favorite band. Uh, Korean K-pop band. I assume you've heard of Blackpink by this point. But the interesting thing is that uh, Interscope Records, Atlantic Records, has a special series where they combine albums from their catalog with artists. And these famous artists do 
covers to the albums, special limited edition, usually like 500 or something. And there was one for Blackpink's self-titled album, not to be confused with the more recent album, Born Pink, which I did not get a copy of yet. And the artist that did this was a woman named Jen Guidi, an artist out of L.A., who used to be a very good friend of mine in college, and we fell out. Uh, I have a horrible feeling I did something terrible to her friend. I don't mean, you know, not terrible, terrible, like, uh, me too terrible. I think that, like, what happened was, like, a friend of hers had a crush on me, and I made out with her, and they decided I was a cad for it, is what I recall. Or maybe we just fell out of touch. I don't know. Anyway, Jen was really great. She was a really good friend of mine, and she did the cover to this limited edition Blackpink record, and uh, I miss her. And the record's awesome, and I bought it, and it's actually really good. Good. Blackpink's non-singles are the moody ones, and they're way better. So you know, listen to the album cuts by Blackpink. New Anohini and the Johnsons, formerly known as Anthony and the Johnsons. Uh, My back was a bridge for you to cross. Beautiful record, just monumental. I've only listened to it three times, but I just loved it to death. Taylor Swift, Speak Now, Taylor's version, three LP, purple vinyl. What is there to say about Taylor Swift this summer with everything else that's going on? I also bought a copy of Reputation on vinyl, finally, the one Taylor Swift album I did not have on vinyl. I had made a mistake on Discogs quite some time ago, and the only the version I marked in my want list was a really rare orange vinyl version that was going for like 800 bucks. Eventually, I realized there were other versions, bought a copy for like 40 bucks, because Taylor presses so many copies of her records, it's actually a lie when you can get any one of her records for very little money. So, yeah, I got both of those. Era's tour this summer, I did not go. I sold my tickets to a friend so her daughters could go. Emma and I saw the 1989 tour. I looked at the set list for both. Honestly, I like the 1989 tour set list better. Emma saw the Speak Now tour. I'm very jealous of that. Emma seeing the Speak Now tour and telling me all about it was how I got into Taylor Swift a long time ago before Red. Uh, Speak Now was never my favorite Taylor album. I liked her more as an academic sort of cultural phenomenon back then. So I don't have like a lot of insight into the different versions on Speak Now versus, or Taylor's version versus the original version. I do like, for the most part, I like the unreleased from the vault songs. They're good. They're better than I thought they would be. But, you know, it's still, it's not my, it's not my thing. Reputation, probably my least favorite Taylor album going into all of this, but it's really grown on me, perhaps because my daughter makes me watch the Ready For It live on SNL and the Delicate video every night. (laughs) And they've grown on me, but uh, I'm still not a giant fan of the record. There's some good songs on it, but there's some really bad ones too. And, you know, the way the album starts off sounding like a Godflesh album kind of appeals to me. (laughs) Uh, ready for it sounds a lot like somewhere someone scorned by Godflesh off of slave state 1989 (laughs) one of my one of my favorite albums of the late 90s or late 80s early 90s anyway yeah two new pieces of taylor vinyl in the last couple months spiritualized amazing grace ep3 i had all three cd singles i'm trying to get all three 12 inch singles i have two and three now i don't have one which is the one that comes with the box with the collectibles it's kind of annoying to me it's like the only spiritualized i don't have vinyl number one is like 70 bucks now i don't know if i want to spend that much on it uh mountain goats keep putting out an album every three weeks or some shit this one is called the life of the world to come very good not the only mountain goats i bought in the last few weeks I also got the Jordan Lake Sessions, Volumes 1 and 2. Maybe 1, 2, and 3? Hard to say. Yeah, 1 and 2. Jordan Lake, of course, is the lake just up the road from me and is where the Mountain Goats record these things. That's actually a lie. They record them in Pittsburgh, the town where I live near, where I go to Lowe's and Bojangles, and I've spent a lot of time in. Um, They recorded a bunch of live stuff there during the pandemic, and... uh, 
They're finally releasing it all in vinyl. Sorry about those. As well as the new album, The Life of the World to Come, which I liked. It was pretty good. You know, they have so many albums. And they each they come out every year, and I just buy them all. And I'm like, I, I admire a man like that with that kind of work ethic. You know, he sticks to his craft and just keeps putting them out, kind of like I do with Good Morning, Hello, How Are You? And I used to do with this podcast, but I don't anymore because podcasts can't really be art. But journals can. Anais showed us all that, as well as that guy uh, that Andy Shea liked. Carl no Ovestead or whatever, my struggle. I digress. Lana Del Rey, I got another copy of Did You Know That There's a Tunnel Under Ocean Boulevard with a censored cover where she's got her boob out on it. I didn't really know what I was buying. They just said it was a limited edition, so I picked it up. So now I have two copies of that. It's a great record, though. Not as strong as the one, you know. I mean, everything's been good since Norman fucking Rockwell, but Norman fucking Rockwell is one of the best albums of the last 10 years, and it's hard to top that. She's trying, though, and she's keeping it real, and every year I appreciate Lana Del Rey a little bit more. Uh, Agriculture, death metal band on, uh, what's the name of that label? I belong to their membership club. I can't remember. Anyway, great record. Don't remember the name of it. I think it's (laughs) self-titled. Don't remember the name of the label either. Oh, my God. Well, whatever. Moving on. Uh, Jay Spaceman, uh, also known as Jason Pierce uh, of Spiritualized, had a live LP with the drummer Kid Millions, who's also the drummer of Oneida and occasionally a sometime drummer on Spiritualized. But the album's called Live at LPR, LPR being Le Poisson Rouge. And uh, very special, I was actually at this show of Jay Spaceman and Kid Millions at Live at Le Poisson Rouge. I watched it from the bar. I drink a lot. I was alone, and it was awesome. Uh, Six Organs of Admittance, Burning the Threshold. I love that band. I love them so much. Ben Chesney, also in Comets and Fire. And uh, not much to say. Great record. Guitar loops, very interesting. Uh, Psych rock. Casio Tone, for the Painfully Alone, a one-man synth-pop band that's been around forever, is now known as Advanced Bass. This is an older album of his. It's a live album called In Sydney. I've wanted it forever because it was the only Casio Tone for the Painfully Alone album I did not already have on vinyl. So there it is, In Sydney. Sonic Youth, New York City, Ghosts and Flowers. I've been trying to get all the Sonic Youth on vinyl. I don't have it all. It's all still in print on Matador, so it's affordable. And I will get it all, but that one was from the same seller that had the Casio Tone record, so I picked it up. And I love that record. It's great. Recorded on Murray Street, near my old house. Brian Jones Sound Massacre, something else. Same vendor had that. Uh, This is a short EP from Brian Jones Sound Massacre, probably about 10 years old. Uh, Not one of my favorites. I'm really into what Brian Jones Sound Massacre and Anton Newcomb Jr. are doing these days, but there was a period I wasn't as into it. And uh, anyway, that one, it's fine, but it wasn't, it what didn't move me like the, the more recent stuff. Hello, Blackbird, a soundtrack album by Mercury Rev from about 15 years ago. Never owned it, picked it up for cheap. I like it a lot, but then I love Mercury Rev. Uh, you know, kind of their orchestral dramatic side as opposed to their psych rock side. Funeral Party, a New Hampshire goth band that had achieved some notoriety in Boston before breaking up and the members of the bands going off into various uh, Boston goth bands that I loved in the 90s, including Missile Thrush and I think Opium Den and I think Reflecting Skin. It's all a little blurry, but I, uh, you know, I only saw Funeral Party once and uh, so I bought the 12-inch recently and then later that week, Adam Wade from, who was a good friend of mine who was in the band, who was a good friend of mine much later, Posted about them, and I was like, yo, man, I bought your 12-inch, like, this week. 
<laughs> I sent him a picture and he was like, wow, where'd you find that? Thank you. So that's cool. Hadn't thought about Funeral Party in a long time. Listened to it. Pretty solid. Uh, and then I bought uh, six Yola Tango records off of their band camp because I am also trying to get all the Yola Tango records on vinyl. I am now missing one. That's assuming you count the New Wave Hot Dogs President Yola Tango double LP as owning each of those individual LPs on vinyl, which I do. But anyway, I bought, I had all of these on CD at one point in my life. Uh, so I, this is a repurchase and nothing turned in itself inside out. Electropura, there's a riot going on, painful summer sun, and I'm not afraid of you and I'll kick your ass. And they were all awesome. And I listened to them all. And I went on this giant Yola Tango kick and it was really great. And they're such an amazing band. They also have an amazing work ethic and uh, they have so many good drones and noise. And they're just, they're just awesome. I did not go to the Hanukkah shows last year and I regret it. Kind of want to go this year, but I got to go to New York in September, October, November, and it seems a little bit pushing my luck to also go in December, and I don't know how anything of this is going like, to work. Everybody in the world is getting COVID, and it's a giant nightmare, and I don't want to get it again, so I don't know what I'm going to do, but I miss the Hanukkah shows. I mean, I've been to four or five different years through the years. I'll go again. I'll go again. One of them better not die. Uh, a winged victory for the sullen which is a modern ambient orchestral band uh, that comes out of an amazing ambient band that I loved in the 90s called Stars of the Lid. I bought their self-titled album on LP. And I bought another Tim Hecker album, The North Water. That's the soundtrack. No Highs is his new album. The North Water was a soundtrack. No Highs is awesome. It was kind of a dark ambient thing. The North Water uh, was more orchestral and I didn't like it as much. But it was still really good. I bought the HTRK hate rock album I did not have called Rhinestones, and it's awesome. Those guys keep putting out great records. Uh, Doomy, slow, synthy, gothy. Hard to explain them. They're kind of unlike anybody else. A mixture of all stuff. Familiar yet new at the same time. You know, their closest thing would be like the gothier, slower birthday party stuff done on synths, I think you could say. And uh, note here is the Agriculture album was in fact called Agriculture. Tinder Sticks, Les Saludes, one of their many soundtracks. It's you know, soundtrack music, classical, mostly instrumental. There is one track with vocals on it if you're a Tinder Sticks fan and it is unique to that album. And about the Willow 7-inch by them, which I have not listened to yet. <laughs> It's been like a month. Uh, but I think that complete that runs out me with all the Tinder Sticks albums on vinyl. So that took a lot of years. That was pretty cool. Bong Water, Breaking No New Ground. I owned this on CD. Was a giant Bong Water fan back in the day. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've had the album forever and finally got a copy on vinyl. Let's see. What is next? Uh, oh, yeah. Ramona Lisa. This is a Caroline Polachek project i think after chairlift before she went solo i didn't know anything about it i just some email targeted me with it and i bought it and i really liked it it's like more traditionally musical than her new stuff but very synthy and sophisticated and clever and less poppy hard to explain but i really liked it uh, arcadia is the name of the ep the new New Pornographers album, Continue as Guest. Uh, you know, I used to really like that band, and I, I, I still buy their records, and I think he's a great pop writer. I love his acerbic wit on the internet, Twitter of the old days. I don't know where he went. I guess he's probably over on Mastodon. Ugh, God. I can't do that. Well, man, I miss you, man. 
come on over to Threads. <laughs> My friend Miranda was in the band for a while, and I think that's when I really liked them. And then when she left, I sort of lost interest. Uh, I really liked them before she was in the band, too. But yeah, I don't know. It was good. It was good. I liked it. Uh, Lush, about a 12-inch of there, Sweetness and Light. Um, saw the first Lush show in America at Night Stage in Boston in 1991, I think. <clears throat> I was about to sing Sweetness and Light, but then I got a cough. Because I quit taking Claritin and my body is compensating by making massive amounts of histamines and I'm going crazy and I'm itching and my throat and lungs are crazy and I thought I was dying but then I realized it's just Claritin withdrawal so that's super fun. You are the sweetness in my life. Anyway, great out, great song. All the Lush albums are being reissued and I've ordered them all, which is going to save me a lot of money because I was about to buy this like $300 Lush box LP set that came out limited edition beggars archive like 10 years ago and now i don't have to do that auburn lull alone i admire michigan space rock band that i have deeply loved for 20 plus years this is their first album had it on cd love it i've been trying to buy all their stuff on lp uh not all of it's out on lp they're one of those bands whose heyday was in the cd heyday which is a real bummer just like you can't get any of the late period Sinead o'connor albums on vinyl which is very frustrating but I digress. Auburn Lull is super ambient, super drony, super mellow, and beautiful. And I love them so much. Mountain Goats Jordan Lake Sessions Volumes 1 and 2. Like I said, Sarah Shannon, lead singer of the Velocity Girl. <laughs> the Velocity Girl. Of Velocity Girl has a solo EP. It is new, but it is old. It's called Demo 98, and it's her finishing up some demos she started in 1998. And I admire... People that find old projects and finish them up. So good for you, Sarah Shannon. It's out on vinyl. Uh, they're really good songs. Velocity Girl is reuniting, and I don't think I'm going to get to see them. I would have thought Velocity Girl was indie rock enough that they would have come to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Indie rock capital of the South. In bitter rivalry with Athens, Georgia. <laughs> but they did not. So that's a bummer. Don't get to see Velocity Girl. Aphex Twin, Black Box Life Recorder, 21F slash Inner Room 7, F760 is the name of the EP. You cannot tell whether it should be played on 33 or 45. I suspect the correct quote-unquote answer is 45. I preferred it on 33. On one side, 45 sounded awesome. On the other side, 45 sounded like predictable old normal Aphex Twin, which is, I'm sad to say, kind of a thing. Uh, a brilliant genius who... Barely puts out music anymore, but when he does, it kind of sounds the same, and his live show's gotten boring. First time I saw Aphex Twin was one of the most amazing shows. He played from... Okay, there were two different shows. Let's, let me see if I can get this straight. And Adam Bouchard, if you're listening, you can help me, because I know we've had this conversation. One of them he played while sitting on a couch drinking a 12-pack of beer. And the other one he played hidden behind the DJ booth on stage. One of them was opening for Bjork. The other one was opening for somebody else or a headlining slot. I don't remember. Uh, he played hidden behind the DJ booth and you couldn't see him and you just saw his hands reach up and put records on the turntables and mix and you never saw him. And they were both just fantastic shows. And then the next time I saw him, several years later at an All Tomorrow, Tomorrow's Parties Festival, he just did a normal set like a normal person. The music sounded normal and he looked normal. I mean, you know, he looks like Richard D. James. Not to be confused with production designer on Star Trek The Next Generation, Richard D. James. That is a funny joke in my head that has been going on for like 30 years. But yeah, it's just a boring show. But the first two shows were great. And uh, it makes me sad. I wonder if he'd be good anymore. If you've seen Aphex Twin in the 21st century, let me know how the show was. Hayden, Canadian singer-songwriter, new album, The Place Where We Lived. Um, 
is that the new album? I actually got two Hayden albums. An old one and a new one. That might be the old one. Anyway, got that. And then uh, Sonic Youth, live in Brooklyn, 2011. Last show. The last American show of Sonic Youth. It was in Williamsburg. It was right across the street from my house. I did not go because I had seen them a couple months earlier and I didn't think I needed to see them again. And I deeply regret it. I could hear the show because I was at home. <laughs> but the set list of the show is fucking amazing. They clearly knew they were on their way out. And if I had known the set list was going to be like that, I totally would have gone. It's just, it's, it's so, it's so many oldies and obscurities and it's a great show and it's a great record. And I strongly recommend it. It's just really good, man. Um, I'm, oh God, that was so stupid, man. That was so stupid. The Jesus and Mary Chain Sunset 666 live in LA. I thought for a moment this was the Jesus and Mary Chain show I had gone to in LA at the Roxy with Black Rebel Motorcycle Club opening where Hope Sandoval showed up and they did Sometimes Always Together, which is probably the last time that'll ever happen. But it was not, in fact, that show. This show was several years later, also at the Palladium, and it was somebody else doing Just Like Honey, not Hope Sandoval, but it's still really good. Pretty good show. Uh, and then I got a Vinyl Me Please record of the month copy of The Strokes Is This It with the second album cover, the fractal exploding molecules or whatever, not the uh, ladies' butt cover, <laughs> which I guess is the right thing to do, but you know, it's always nice to see a ladies' butt, I guess. Um, and I haven't listened to it again. I was never a Giant Strokes fan. I saw them a bunch. Um, they opened for a friend of mine's band at TT the Bears in Boston, actually. But, uh, I mean, they're good. I just didn't think they were like this amazingly new thing like everybody else did. I mean, really, they just, you know, sounded like the less shoegazy side of the Brian Johnson Massacre who were around for quite some time at that point. But I liked them. They're fine. And I'm happy to own it. And I also got the second Strokes album from Vinyl Me Please a while ago. So after all these years, I own both Strokes albums on vinyl. I guess that's something. And that's all the records I bought in the last six weeks. Uh, there are a few new ones sitting on the pile, but we'll pick those up next time in like, I don't know, December or whatever, when we do this again. Let's take a sip of my Zevia ginger ale. Ah, I wonder if we'll finish this before I have to go to Jane's kindergarten open house and meet her teacher, who sounded like a complete lunatic on the phone. And then I'll meet her and be like, nope, we're not doing this, and pull Jane out. And then I'll take her with me to Boston. Because I want to take her with me to Boston. I don't want her to go to school. Albums I listen to. Georgia Hubley, A Little Black Egg, Buzzard's Bed. Georgia, of course, is Georgia from Yola Tango, and she made her first solo EP. I listened to it. It was fine. It was good. I liked it. Horrors, H-O-R-Z-E, Power. That album was awesome, crazy-ass psych rock, noisy, a uh, little power electronics-y, never heard of them, don't know anything about them, H-O-R-Z-E, Power is the name of the album, and it was scary AF. Bardo Pond, Bardo Pond Volume 3, I love Bardo Pond, I've been seeing them live for 30 years, uh, sort of a space rock, psych rock, prog rock kind of Philadelphia noise band, have a split album with Yola Tango I need to find, actually. Uh, and that was really good. A Certain Ratio, band from Factory Records back in the day, new album called 1982, and it was awesome. My phone just beeped. I believe that's my wife. Let's check it out. Nope, that's not my wife. Let's see what happened. Yeah, that was just work stuff again. Work stuff. Where were we? We did that. Oh, yeah, A Certain Ratio, 1982. That was a great record. Really good. 
a band that's been around for 50 years just kicking it. Like, they sound as fresh and they sound better now than they did back then, honestly. Mark Peters, The Magic Hour EP, Ambient Moody Thing on the Sonic Cathedral label. I liked it a lot. Uh, yeah, Bully. I think we all know Bully. Cool rock band on Sub Pop with a lady singer. Lucky for You is the name of the album. Got a call from Quincy, Massachusetts. I think we're going to pass on that. Yes, moving on. Man, it's hard to do this in the middle of a workday. <laughs> I can't believe my job is interfering with my podcasting hobby. It's so unreasonable. Angel Olsen, Forever Means. I don't remember that one. I think it was a 12-inch EP. She's got a lot of like non-album stuff coming out, but... I remember liking it a lot, but I don't remember what its deal was. You know, uh, PJ Harvey, I inside the old year dying. I didn't like it. Some people are saying it's brilliant. It was, it was mellow. I like the mellowness of it. It's pretty, but it's just, you know, it, I didn't feel like PJ Harvey to me, but that's cool. We all get older. We all change. I should give it another shot and uh, ignore that it's PJ Harvey and see what I think of it as something new. Bedroom, B-D-R-M-M, all lowercase. I don't know. Shoegaze, awesome. Really, really good band, Shoegaze. Modern Shoegaze, can't get enough of it. Baxter Dury, Ian Dury from the Blockheads. Son, uh, I thought I was better than you. That's a great record, spoken word. Baxter Dury is kind of like the predecessor to the Sleaford mods, and I really, really like him. I have liked many of his earlier albums. I was unaware about this new one, but somebody, I think it was Nikki, alerted me to it. Thank you, Nick. Nicholas. Uh, Daniel Bloomberg, Gut. Noisy, quiet, gothy. Uh, that was really awesome, actually. Gut, all capital letters. Daniel Bloomberg. The Reds, Pinks, and Purples. Unlovable Losers. 80s jangle pop, but gets... Yeah, I don't know. It's pretty cool on, in principle, uh, and I really liked it, and it's sort of like, um, you know, maybe like, Hyacinth girl sort of noisy jangly pop uh, the primitives or something like that uh, but upon related repeated listens I didn't like it as much but I admire what this band is doing the reds pinks and purples and I will be keeping an eye on them osmotic and fennesses senza tempo ambient noisy thing that was really really good cathedral bells everything at once uh, pretty peppy shoegaze oh yeah that was good it was upbeat shoegaze I really enjoyed that Jerome's Dream, The Gray in Between, Metal, Noisy Punk, was this, oh yeah, that's right, this is uh, the guy from Drive Like Jehu, oh yeah, that guy died too, that was really sad, and I really love Drive Like Jehu, god man, that was, that was a rough one too, and I didn't know about his late period band, Jerome's Dream, so I listened to that, and it was pretty awesome, sounds like a little bit more of a more metal Drive Like Jehu, Field Music, Common Time, Left Me Unimpressed, Transporter, Star Maps, Volume 1, W Hotel, Housey, it was fine, Lloyd Cole's new album, On Pain, I enjoyed, but I did not love. Soft Kill, Meta World Peace, that album ruled. Soft Kill, really, really good. Um, <laughs> Sparks, The Girl Is Crying Under Latte, didn't love it. Couple good songs, not my thing. Decisive Pink, Ticket to Fame, Synthy Thing, Fun. It's got Kate Envy and the Derridunian Ode to Boy. Oh, there's, that's a song, Derridunian Ode to Boy. I don't know. That was really good. Decisive Pink. James, be opened by the wonderful. I was opened by the wonderful. I sh that deserves a second listen. I liked it and then forgot about it. Water from your eyes. Everyone's crushed. Did not really care for that one way or the other. James Ellis Ford, The Hum. Uh, kind of a John Grant wannabe kind of thing. Not quite as good. Didn't really do it for me. 
Ingrid Andress, good person. Moody Lady, I like that a lot. It was really, really good. Good person is a great name for an album. <laughs> she really hits on that. She understands me. I'm trying to be a good person. Downward, The Brass Tax, don't remember it at all. Leela Moss, Working Internal Model. Empathy Files, that must be a song on there I really liked. Uh, I like that record, though. That was really good. Shannon Lay, Covers Volume 1, Lady Moody Quiet Blues. Oh, yeah, she covered Blues Run the Game by Jackson C. Frank and a lot of other quiet stuff. Uh, it was fine. Uh, Brimheim. Oh, that one was really good. And the title of it was so good. Can't Hate Myself into a Different Shape. God, that record ruled. I need to listen to that again. Brimheim. I deleted it. I mean, I put the Star Tracks in my Star Tracks, but I deleted it before listening to it again. Yeah, we got to... Oh, so good. So good. Strong recommend on Brimheim. Uh, Pearl and the Oysters, Coast Coast. Heavy early freeze pop influence. <laughs> Synth pop sounded a lot like early freeze pop. I wonder if they're fans or it's a coincidence. squid o monolith <laughs> I noted it down as cool guy rock. So I guess I was not super impressed with that. Purple Disco Machine, Exotica. Fantastic Disco. Lots of guests. Yeah, that was really good. Purple Disco Machine. Uh, J.J. Johansson had a new album. It's called Fetish. Uh, I liked it, but not as much as his old stuff, but it was solid. You know, European, Scandinavian, Sophistapop. Great songs. Great voice. Transponder. Star Maps Volume 1 EP as an electronica thing. Not really my thing. Sop with Camel. The Miraculous Hump Returns from the Moon. 70s style. Smooth. I really enjoyed Sop with Camel. The new Sigaros Atta. I'm so bummed I didn't go to see the tour. I seriously gave serious thought to going up to Boston to seeing it with my friend Ashley. Who asked for a ticket and I didn't go and I regret it. Oh, Blonde Shell. Self-titled album. I liked it okay and then I saw them on KEXP and I was like, I don't really care for this. It's fine. It's rock. Uh, Day Wave album is called Past Life. That was great. Poppy, echoey, bit like the Now Now with a guy singer. Day Wave. They were really good. Posey, P-O-Z-I, Smiling Pools, Unremarkable Minimalist Synth Pop, but pretty. E, that's uh, Jason Sanford from Neptune and Talia Zydek from Come. Another album there is called Negative Work. I enjoyed it a whole lot. You know, angular post-punk kind of thing. M. Ward, Supernatural Thing. It was fine, I guess. Unmemorable. Last song was really good and had a Bowie cover uh, from Black Star. That was really good. I can't give it away. My favorite song from that album. So props to M Ward for that. Uh, then I listened to a bunch of albums by this band, Les Hommes Sauvages, who uh, the main guy is in the Swans, and Jim Sclavunos from the Bad Seeds is in this band, and some woman. So I was like, wow, this band's got quite the pedigree. So I listened to all three of their albums, Playtime, Traffic, and Viva La Trance. And they were awesome. They're exactly like you would expect a guy from the Swans and some cool woman and Jim Sclavunas from the Bad Seeds to sound like. And it was really good. Strong recommend on Les Hommes Sauvages. Black Moth, The Hissing Silence, Noise Drone Trance. I enjoyed it very much. Spirits of Leo, Gossamer Blue. No recollection of what that sounded like, and I did not make a note. No So, Stay Proud of Me, Lady Mellow Album, very beautiful, really into it. Then I listened to the entire works of Gene C. Riley, best known for the song Harper Valley PTA. And I listened to the Harper Valley PTA album, Yearbooks and Yesterdays, Things Go Better with Love, and Country Girl. And it was all great old-fashioned, there goes my man, Lady Country, with a little bit of a feminist kick to it. So, you know, maybe not quite as smart or brilliant as uh, Bobby Gentry, 
But in the same vein, Gene C. Riley, no relation to John C. Riley. Bahamas, bar chords, sounds like M. Ward or something moody, singer-songwriter, a little swingy. It's kind of cool. Bar chords is a great name for an album of songs that involve drinking. The Burning Paris. This band was awesome. Everything is broken and I don't feel a thing. This is a Boston post-rock band that I had never heard of, but my friend Bill alerted me to, and they're so good. I think they must have gotten together after I left. But man, The Burning Paris. I also listened to their album Half-Truths and Indiscretions, the retrospective, and their previous band, or maybe their subsequent band, Bill would have to clarify, On Fire, and the name of the album is This Time is Forever. All very good. Alaska Reed has a new album. I got into her because her name is Alaska, and I'm from Alaska, and I follow her on YouTube. Her new album is called Disenchanter. It's fine. Nothing is special. It was okay. Singer-songwriter. She's trying. She's living the life. Good for her. Abriction, lowercase a. One-woman metal post-rock death metal band from New Jersey. The new album is called Interstates. I love it. More post-rock, less metal or electronica this time around. Film School, seminal shoegaze band. One of the only bands keeping it real in the 90s, late 90s when we were. Uh, the new EP is called Tape Rewind. I liked it a lot. Julie Byrne, The Greater Wings, no recollection. All Hands Make Light, Darling the Dawn. This was an awesome record. These people are great, I said. Drony and Psycho Duo, man and woman, Godspeed and Silvermount Zion people, and some broken social scene people. Oh yeah, this record, this ruled. All hands make light. Darling the Dawn. Man, I need to listen to that one again too. So far of all of these, if I had to pick some, it'd be Brimheim, Burning Paris, and All Hands Make Light. Charlie Martin, Imaginary People, no recollection. Hydroplane, Hydroplane, no recollection. The new Blur album, The Battle of Darren. I remember this because I just listened to it again yesterday. And it's good. It's better than I thought it was going to be. And there's like three or four good songs. But kind of, you know, nah, I don't love it. Coulter Wall, little songs. Coulter Wall is awesome. He's sort of like bluegrass country with a little bit of a hard edge to him. And I really liked it. Little Songs is the name of that album. There's a new album by the man Blake Mills, singer-songwriter. Loved his first record. Just thought it was amazing. And I love about half of this record. He's got like a delicacy to him and a darkness. He's got like Bonnie Prince Billy and his more down moments kind of vibe. Blake Mills. Uh, check him out, but I would stick with the first record. You, Y-O-U, all capital with a period at the end. The album's called Sun Chaser. Also gave that one a second listen to yesterday. It's really great. It's like sparse, dark, synth goth synth wave so i really enjoyed that bria country covers volume two. Oh yeah this one's awesome country is spelled c-u-n-t-r-y and it's all covers of her her doing covers of country songs she is in uh orville peck's band i think they were dating for a while i don't remember how i found her but i found she was doing these weird covers of <laughs> they're called country covers it's so good oh it's great uh the clientele i am not there anymore i did not like this well, might cut out for a second there. Sorry about that. Yeah, I didn't love it. Um, I really wanted to. I'm very excited about a new clientele record. but And there's like five really good songs, but there's so many songs on it. And I was like, you could have cut this down to like 10 songs. It would have been awesome. But it had some good moments. And, uh, you know, I'm happy they're back. Cindy Talk live on Radio Buena Vida, which seems to be some internet uh, progressive sort of revolutionary radio thing going out of uh, Scotland. Cindy Talk, of course, are originally Scottish. And uh, I enjoyed it very much. 
it's not an album per se. It's a live thing. And, uh, there, you know, it's, uh, Cindy's sort of like newer, harder electronica stuff, but a little bit of a more experimental noise than she's been doing lately. So I did dig that about that tricky and Marta, who I think is the woman that's been singing on the tricky albums for the last few years. The album is called when it's going wrong. Um, I just gave that another listen to yesterday and, uh, I like it a lot, but it's, it's a little slight, I'm like, when I listen to it, I'm like, yeah, this is really good. One of these songs is going to really hit it. And one song really does hit it, but I'm like, yeah, it's okay. It's not, it's not as good as other tricky records. Uh, then I listen to every Einsturzen de Neubauten album in order, including the ones I already listened to. So I'm only listening here the ones I had not listened to before, because this is, of course, new music. 915-2000, Brussels Live, great live album, and Neu remixes, way better than any remix album has any right to be. Uh, Berlin Babylon, Supporters Album 1, Gemini Live 2003, Perpetual Mobile, Perpetuum Mobile, that was awesome, Grundestruck and Architecture, Ubglaublicker uh, Larm, that was awesome, Solo Bass Fetter, that's an album of bass solos. That was awesome. Palast der Republic Live, Alice Wieder Offen, an actual album that was really, really good. Wien Geinster, which is an album made of people talking about wine. And Alice in Alam, and that was really good too. And Einsturz and Neubauten, I, you know, I kind of listened to them all on a lark, and I didn't realize how many albums they had, and it, it took forever. But my God, they're so good. Everything they do is brilliant. They are a band dedicated to a lifetime of art, and I got my hat is off to them. They're probably complete assholes, but... I've seen them three or four times, and I'm really bummed that last tour didn't happen, and I'd love to see them again. Jenny May, Don't Wait Up For Me, Mellow Lady Country-ish, a little bit more on the rock side. Uh, she was the best of the whole Mellow Lady Country, but a little bit more on the rock side kind of singers I listened to in the last week, including uh, Molly Sullivan, Clearwater, and Michaela Davis and Southern Star. All of those were modern Lady Country-ish. My friend Og hipped me to Jenny May, and I like hers the most. It was a little bit on the rock side. Michaela Davis is probably the one I like the least. It was a little bit more countryish. Uh, Molly Sullivan will put in the mellow, middle, mellow code, object reality, no recollection. Hella, hold your horses. I think that's a friend of mine's band, but I'm not 100% sure. It was math rock, reminds me of Deerhoof. It was really, really good. Bass Jan, Baby You Know, Broadcast Automatic kind of thing progress uh sex culty oh yeah this one was awesome i really like this progressive causes has a song called Pro progressive causes and another one called sex cult and then, <laughs> yeah bass jan b-a-s-j-a-n they're really great zaumne z-a-u-m-n-e album is called parfum ambient with a lady singer very very good oxbow metal band from the bay area loves holiday i enjoyed it a lot it had uh what's her name on it the scary scary girl <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember her name, but uh, it's great. Great, great metal post-rock album. Guided by Voices, new album. Whirlpool Frilly, Welshpool Frillies was unimpressed. New Current 93 album, If a City is Set Upon a Hill. Also pretty unimpressed. Just more of the same for both of them. Which I guess, you know, that's what I probably would do if I was still in a band. Margaret Glaspie, Echo the Damned, remarkable, unremarkable woman guitar rock, I said. Uh, I only gave that one listen and I was in a bad mood that day. That deserves another listen. Arnold Dreblatt, Resolve, Drony Guitar Picking, Experimental Thing, Almost Classical. I really liked that one. Fiddlehead, Boston post-rock, post-punk band. Death is Nothing to Us. I enjoyed that very much. Panda Bear, Sonic Boom, and Adrian Sherwood, Reset and Dub. That is the last Panda Bear, Sonic Boom album turned into a dub album album by Adrian Sherwood, and I did enjoy that probably more than the actual album. Iano, I-A-N-O, I is lowercase, A-N-O is capitalized. What will we see? 
I don't remember what that sounded like, but I remember really liking it because I remember the weird spelling and Googling them and trying to find out more from them. And they seem to be mainly a Bandcamp band with very few physical releases, but it was really, really awesome. Carly Rae Jepsen's new album, The Loveliest Time. I have no notes on it. I remember liking the first two songs and I don't remember anything about the rest of the album. It's on my list for a re-listen. Achings, All These Shapes, All These Days, Woman, Guitar, had some good songs. It was okay. George Clanton, Oop, Rap, I, Yeah. Oh, yeah, this is actually really good. Anthemic Millennial, millennial Hotel Lobby Rock Big Chords. <laughs> That's what I wrote about it. You know, like uh, Noah and the Whale or the Arcade Fire, that kind of thing. Exit Rituals, Blinding Void, Gothy Ambient Thing with a Woman Singer. Really enjoyed that. And then I listened to Sinead O'Connor's Folk Album and her Reggae Album. Sean Knows Nua and Throw Down Your Arms. They are both awesome. I wish I had listened to them when they came out. I obviously just ignored them and didn't care. And I will regret it to my dying day. And they are both fantastic. And I desperately want them on vinyl. The Folk Album was never released on vinyl. The Reggae one was only released in one country on vinyl. There's one copy for sale on Discogs for $800. I will not be buying that, though I was sorely tempted for a couple days. But it was shipping from Argentina, so I'm not going to risk it. Bonnie Prince Billy, Keeping Secrets Will Destroy You. I like that, but, you know, I always love Bonnie Prince Billy. I want to see it live, but it sounded really good. It deserves another listen. The Orb with David Gilmore of Pink Floyd, Metallic Spheres. That was awesome. I'd buy that on vinyl and listen to it over and over again when I was trying to look cool. If I had to play DJ in a W Hotel lobby, maybe. <laughs> Uh, Tenger, T-E-N-G-G-E-R, Nomad is the name of the Cynthia, very sparse, very ambient. It was fine, but nothing special. Dominique Laurelet, first meeting. Classical piano, ambient, quirky, kind of liked it. Folk Devils, oh yeah, I just said this this morning. Folk Devils, beautiful monsters. Folk Devils were a band that were going around in England sounding like Spaceman 3 when Spaceman 3 are around. Apparently they're a big influence, and they're great. I really, really like them. And then the Cogs of Time, Time Waits for No Man, T-Y-M-E, Time. They were Spaceman 3's friends in the early years. They had a club together called the Reverberation Club, and they would play some nights, and they managed this club that was just sort of listen to cool music. Sounded pretty cool, and uh, I liked it, and I could see how they're Spaceman 3's friends, but Spaceman 3 were obviously better, and I guess we're probably the ones that deserve to get bigger. We are now at one hour and 13 minutes, and my wife is pinging me saying I should come home, and we should go to the school and meet our kindergarten teacher for Jane, so I'm going to leave you here. I will be back tomorrow to finish this podcast with the TV, the movies, and the books. So, farewell. And now I am back. It is the next day. It is 1.31 p.m. I still don't have a good stand for my blue microphone. Don, the electrician, is here, putting an outlet in the master closet. For some reason that my wife wanted, I don't remember why. Baby cam, I think, maybe. I don't know. It escapes me. Been spending a lot of time with Don the Electrician. He's kind of cool. We get along these days. The gate people didn't leave me my remote controls. So I don't know. They didn't leave the manual to the gate. But I mean, that's fine. They haven't billed me yet. So, uh, you know, (laughs) if they want to leave it in this state, I will deal with that or when they try and bill me i guess i'll tell them about the manuals we will see we will see last night emma and i and jane went to her school for an open house and to meet her teacher i already hadn't well no that's not true emma and jane had already met her i had not she's fine i guess whatever i don't have 
I, I don't feel very optimistic about this whole thing. I've been writing extensively about my kindergarten anxieties on my daily newsletter. Good morning, hello, how are you? And uh, I don't know that I need to revisit it here, so perhaps we won't do that today. But, you know, six more days, five more days, and Jane's going to school. Will we like it? Will we not? I don't know. How do school lunches work? I don't know. Why is there a snack program? I don't know. Why do they explicitly tell you on the snack program piece of paper that they cannot stop your kid from getting snacks, any snacks, anytime, and then ask you whether or not your kid can have snacks on any days while telling you that it doesn't matter and they can't do anything about it? I don't really know. Is it one of those fake rule things where a kid just has to realize the rule isn't real? Like those museums that are supposed to be free that try and charge you admission that you could just walk into? Is it like that? I don't know. Why do you read these articles sometimes about people paying off student lunches, school lunches, when they don't charge you for them? Or when they do charge you, you don't have to pay? I don't know. And everyone that can needs free lunches gets free lunches. So whose free lunches are you paying, or whose non-free lunches are you paying off when you pay off student lunches? I don't know. None of it makes any sense. Schools are very opaque. And my mom ran a school. But it was the 70s, and things have changed. Things have changed. I listened to three more albums today. I figure I might as well tell you about them, so I don't have to put them on next episode's list. I listened to The Flying Pickets, which was an 80s a cappella group in England. I don't know why I listened to this. It probably had something to do with the book I was reading about Spaceman 3, but I don't know. The album was called The Lost Boys, and it had a lot of covers of two different Eurythmic songs. Well, I think one of them was an Annie Lennox solo song. And apparently they were very, very vocal supporters of the Miners' Strike, so good for them. And at one point, Margaret Thatcher said it was their favorite record, even though they were vocal proponents of the miners strike so go figure that out i don't know it was pretty good though as acapella music goes i haven't listened to acapella music since i don't know the 80s when the nylons were a thing but i enjoyed it then i listened to candy claws sarah's and calypso in the deep time i uh threw this in here because i thought it was another one of those spotify shoegaze albums I think Spotify recommended them to me when I was working on a shoegaze playlist. So I thought they were shoegaze, and the first song was pretty shoegaze, but then after that, it got weirder and weirder. It sounded kind of like maybe uh, the circusier side of Mercury Rev, like Life in the Empire State, or this band Roller Skate Skinny. I don't know if you remember them, or uh, the Evangelicals. Anybody remember the Evangelicals? Played a barbarian party at the Mohawk at South by Southwest once. Really good band. You know, weirder, more circusy, not really uh, shoegaze at all. I guess if I had to pick something people had heard of, I'd say the uh, Arcade Fire stuff with more trumpets. <laughs> First album, maybe? I don't know. My phone keeps buzzing. It's just me telling. Oh, I got a voicemail one minute ago. Should we listen to it? I wonder if it's that guy I'm avoiding. My phone didn't ring. I'm going to erase this probably. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Hi, Rick. My name is Nudge. And regarding your job opening for the content software engineer, what is your job? Oh, job openings. Yeah. 
that's what happens when you lift, lift, lift the job opening. Good stuff, good stuff. Forgot to turn on Do Not Disturb. I'm not erasing any of this today. Focus. Do Not Disturb is now on. It was on already. But for some reason, it decided to give you a beep on the email. Oh, a recovery rally. Oh, substance abuse. Profound. Yeah, I don't know, man. That could make sense. I'm thinking I might try and quit caffeine now because of this whole blood pressure thing. And uh, I went to Walmart this morning. Very exciting. It's Friday now. And uh, there goes Don. Bye, Don. And uh, I'm going to stop eating corn chips, really salty corn chips. I already went down from the super salty ones to the medium salty ones, but now I'm going with pretzels. And I bought one bag of unsalted and one bag of lightly salted, and I'm going to like mix them up half and half. Maybe that'll do it. I don't know, man. I don't know. This blood pressure thing is freaking me out. I'm convinced I'm having a heart attack at all times. It's very stressful. This is supposedly the music section of this podcast. Oh, no, that wraps up the music section. No, it doesn't. One more album, The Ravenettes. The Ravenettes present "Rip It Off." It's an album of uh, covers of their of Ravenettes songs. A whole the uh, in order cover of their first EP, "Whip It Out." No, "Whip It On." <laughs> Do you remember that album? It's the one where all the songs were in B flat minor. That was a great record, man. God, the Ravenettes were so good back then. Anyway, you got this new album. It's got uh, covers by a bunch of people: Brian Jonestown, Massacre, Dave Gahan, The Black Angels, Glass Vegas. Good stuff. Just finished it minutes ago. So I recommend that. And now we turn ourselves to TV. We watched Bupkiss, the Pete Davidson show, Life Imitating Art. Very funny. Starts out great. Stays pretty solid. Enjoyable. Short. The Witcher, last season with Henry Cavill as The Witcher. A muddled mess. Episode 5 was great. There was a break between 5 and 6 for like 3 weeks. And then there were only 8 episodes. I don't know what was up with that. That show takes so long for them to make a new season. Every time it comes along, I can't remember what happened in the old season. That's actually, of course, we all know this. An increasingly common thing in television. It's going to be even worse right now, thanks to the writer's strike, which we support, of course. Junior Bake Off. Bunch of kids doing some baking. I didn't really. I didn't have it in me. I think uh, Bake Off is uh, leaving my, my, my blood. Maybe uh, when there's a new uh, season of the original OG Bake Off, I will be into it. But uh, the Junior Bake Off, not my thing. Not my thing. Star Trek Strange New Worlds, fantastic. Best Star Trek, track Star Trek in 30 years, 20 years. It's so good. It's the best. I'm very happy. Uh, even though I don't like the showrunners. Well, I don't know. They seem to do what they're doing. The produ- executive producer, the Akiva Goldsman or whatever. Too much Dark Trek. It still has some Dark Trek sufferings here and there. And it's a little spotty. And it did that TNG thing that I just hate where they have cliffhanger episodes. And I'm like, you have a cliffhanger season finale going into a writer's strike. Like, I mean, obviously they didn't know that when they did it, but like, oh my God, it's so annoying. It's going to be like three years till they resolve that cliffhanger. And my wife pointed this out, but she was absolutely right. You know who handled the season finales really well and then made cliffhangers? Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They would wrap it up with the big bad and end it. And then they'd have a little teaser for the next season's big bad, but not Star Trek. Brave new worlds, strange new worlds. They had to have a full on next generation, best of both worlds style cliffhanger. And I did not like that one bit. But everything else about the season was top notch, top notch. Watched the Bear season two. It was very, very good. Episode six was insane and amazing. Episode seven was probably better. 
talking to a restaurant friend. Uh, I don't believe she listens to the podcast, but she writes these wonderful recountings of her management of a restaurant on Facebook. Old friend of mine. And she was talking about how the crazy things that people ask for at a restaurant these days. And I realize it's probably because of the bear season two, episode seven specifically, which takes place in a restaurant. That's sort of a mashup of 11 Madison park and Alinea. And, uh, you know, they do all sorts of crazy things to their customers. And now people think that's what all restaurants should do. Like a, a mid to high level, maybe if it was lucky in a great world, we get one Michelin star restaurant in a second tier city. Like Boston has to deal with people that think they're going to 11 Madison park. Now it's kind of a mess, kind of a mess. What we do in the shadows still going very good. Hilarious, solid, great show. Wonderful sort of uh, season-long plot point this year, and all the individual episodes have been great. Foundation, Asimov adaptation on Apple TV+. Plus. First season was okay. Second season's been great. I read the books. I love the books, even though they're not great. <laughs> I mean, they've, they've aged. They're 50, 60, 70 years old now. And uh, they're really good, though. And there's, you know, problems of, like, Trek has of reality science catching up with the science that supposedly took place millions of years in the future, like nuclear weapons. Uh, and things that, like, they you know they're supposedly high-tech, we know just can't be done or are fundamentally flawed based on new understandings of things like history and psychology and the brain. But, uh, you know, psychohistory, it's just complete bullshit. We know that. But anyway, um, season two is killing it. It's just really good. And, you know, also, the books were much more... Uh, What's the word they use in television for those kind of shows like Fargo and True Detective? Um, not ensemble. I don't remember. Anthology. Anthology shows, you know, whole new cast each season. Uh, I really thought Foundation was going to be something like that because that's how the books are. Very few characters carry a through between more than one book. And when they do out of the six or seven books, it's like maybe two characters for maybe two books, you know. Um, but no, they, so they re completely reworked it so that these characters or at least their likenesses were in many of the books and they did it through many different ways. Like some were like clones, some had gone into suspended animation and it's all, but it's all very clever. And in the first season I was like, Oh, this is dumb. They're just doing this so they get the same characters and the same actors. And you know, I mean, those actors are amazing. So I mean, it's like Jared Harris and Lee Pace and like, yeah, you can keep them around, you know? But uh, this season, it's really paying off, and it's really good, and I really like it. And there's a new episode I get to watch tonight, which is very exciting. I Sorry, I pulled the cable out of the microphone again there. Anyway, yeah, very exciting. Like Foundation a lot. Uh, what else we got? Drops of God. Oh, yeah, Rex, my friend Rex told me to watch this. It's on Apple TV Plus as well. It's based on a very popular manga, manga, manga comic. And it's about sommeliers, and uh, it's bad in a lot of ways, but you love it anyway. It's really good, even though I have a lot of complaints about many different things about it. The acting, the writing, the directing, <laughs> the show running, the script, <laughs> but it's still really good. I don't really know. My wife and I are like, why did we like that so much? But it's just so unique and interesting, and uh, yeah, I really liked it. It's short. I think it's six episodes. So that was good. We've been watching Futurama reboot. It's fine. It's more Futurama. That's nice. It's a good thing to have in the world. Uh, I wish they would make like 30 more and I could watch them on random or something like that. It's very weird to watch Futurama weekly instead of like when it's on reruns every night after you get home from college or whatever. But uh, it's good. 
Shrinking, also on Apple TV, TV Plus. Man, they've been really, they've been doing a great job lately. Uh, I didn't want to watch this, but my wife made me. It is a show about therapists with Harrison Ford and uh, Jessica Williams. It used to be on The Daily Show and Jason, what's his name? The comedian. I can't remember his name. Anyway, it was pretty good. It was funny. Made me laugh. It was a good time. Good Omens. That's another show that was much better in season two than season one. I thought season one was okay. It wasn't my favorite Neil Gaiman book. It wasn't my favorite show. But season two, actually, very heartwarming, very amazing. Much, 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 much better. Only Murders in the Building. I think we've only watched two episodes so far. We're actually watching a million different shows right at the moment. We finished Shrinking, we finished Good Omens, and at the moment, we are watching Foundation, Only Murders in the Building, Twisted Metal, The After Party, and Ahsoka. And I'm probably forgetting one. So, yeah, Only Murders is going well. Twisted Metal is based on a PlayStation game I played a lot in, like, 1993 or 4 when the first PlayStation 1 came out. I had the game, and me and my friend Mike Anderson would play it every day, and it was really fun. And for some reason, they have now made a, uh, a show about it. I mean, I don't even know. Like, I stopped buying PlayStations between 1 and 5, but... I don't know. Were there other Twisted Metal games? Is it a franchise? Was it just this one game on the PlayStation ages ago? I don't understand why they've made this show. But it's not terrible. And, uh, you know, it's short and it's funny. It's comedic, post-apocalyptic comedian, comedy. You don't get enough of those in the world. Uh, I really like post-apocalyptic comedies. <laughs> really right up my alley. There was that Future Man, that show. So it was on Hulu. That show is great. Post-apocalyptic comedies. That's my jam. The After Party, Apple TV Plus, Murder Mystery. Uh, I wanted to watch this after I saw they did an episode that was like an homage to, uh, what's his name? <laughs> you know, what's his name? Wes Anderson. Um, but then Emma said she wanted to watch it. And I was like, I don't know. I thought it was a sitcom, but it's a murder mystery. I love murder mystery shows. I don't like sitcoms, but I like sitcoms that are murder mystery shows. I like murder mystery comedies a whole lot. So that's what it is. It's like, it's funny. It's good. It was good. Just finished season one. Ahsoka, a new Star Wars show. It's okay. Two episodes so far. My friends all seem to like it. I have I have some complaints. But I don't know. It's fine. It seems like it's probably better than Obi-Wan so far. It's definitely not going to be any Andor. It's, you know, it's interesting. The show started and we got like two seconds into it. They have like a crawl telling you what's happened with Ahsoka since we last saw her. And we had to pause and Emma's like, can you tell me what's going on here? And I'm like, yes, okay. And I had to walk her through the whole thing that like Ahsoka, last time we saw her regularly was on Rebels and Rebels takes place in between episodes three and four after the the rise of the Empire before, you know, Luke Skywalker blows up the first Death Star and but this takes place after Return of the Jedi, and we know that because Ahsoka made an appearance on The Mandalorian, which also takes place after Return of the Jedi, and we know that because they always talk about the New Republic, and whenever he gets pulled over by the Popo, they're in X-Wing fighters, so we know it takes place in the New Republic era. We don't know what happened to Ahsoka between then and then. I think we're going to find out in this show. We know about the whole like death and resurrection thing with Ezra and the like in-between worlds, but I don't think they're going to get into that. And then we had to talk about Thrawn and how he was in Rebels, but he's not in 4, 5, and 6, and we don't know why, and maybe we're going to learn that now. And it was like, I had to tell her all this stuff just to sit down and watch the show, you know? And I'm like, how do normal people watch Star Wars that don't have a significant other that has all this memorized it's just too complicated, you know, like just, just, just put it in the future and let's move on. I don't understand. 
I mean, you know, from their perspective, we'll watch everything and we'll figure it out and they can have people operating in three or four different timelines. They have somebody operating in the new, in the old Republic, somebody operating in the new Republic, somebody operating after the events of Rise of Skywalker and the First Order, and they can all be doing their own things and they don't have to like worry about interactions, which is what doomed the MCU because the MCU sucks now, right? Doesn't it? I don't know. I didn't actually watch Secret Invasion because it looks so boring. Anyway. So far, two episodes, it's looking all right. Speaking of the MCU, turning to movies, we watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. That was depressing, and Emma liked it. And, you know, I guess the depressing, scary, awful stuff was kind of heartwarming in a way, and the jokes landed well, and the action was good, but the movie made no sense, and it was too long, and and it was just like, I can't... I, I seem to be the only person that has this problem, but the way that, like, space is, like not actually space and people just walk around in it and planets don't have atmospheres or gravity and they can just fly between galaxies. It just drives me up the wall. You know, <laughs> it's like they go to another planet. Like we them going to another planet a hundred light years away is more difficult than me going to the pizza place on the corner. It's just ridiculous. It drives me crazy. John wick chapter four. I think I might be John wicked out. <laughs> it was better than number three. I'll give you that. And, I hope it's the last one. We will see. We will see. Uh, yeah. Um, my friend just texted me saying they had no idea I was into Lana Del Rey because I just tried to buy Lana Del Rey tickets today for Charlotte and it seems to have sold out on me. It was total bullshit. I'm really pissed off. Asteroid City, new Wes Anderson film. Very uh, divisive amongst people, but I think I liked it. I liked what he was going for. It was one of those plays the thing fucking things that I usually don't like. Or I like, despite it, like uh, Station Eleven. I love Station Eleven, but the whole the plays the thing acting genius. Thank you. I just fucking hate that shit. And this was one of those, and that might be why people don't like it. But I didn't mind that, and I thought it was okay. Uh, and actually, it made it it made it better than a normal Wes Anderson film for me because most other Wes Anderson films are overly stylized for no good reason. This one was like at least nominally a play or a movie or the story of actors or something. So it just kind of worked a little bit more well. It was a little confusing exactly how that all interacted, but all in all, I really liked it. I liked it a lot more than most people did. Plus, you know, I like Jarvis Cocker. He has a cameo in it. I just listened to Running the, the World by Jarvis Cocker today. Do you remember that song? It's over the end credits of Children of Men. Cunts are still running the world. Because my daughter asked me what my least favorite theory was. And I told her social Darwinism was my least favorite theory. <laughs> so then I had to explain social Darwinism to her. And she just knew right away. I was like, it's social Darwinism is the theory that the people who are most successful and powerful deserve it. She's like, well, that's not true. And I'm like, right? It's not true. <laughs> I love my daughter. She's great. Uh, Turn Every Page, the movie I mentioned this earlier about uh, Robert Caro and his editor, Robert Gottlieb, directed by Robert Gottlieb's daughter, Lizzie Gottlieb. It's pretty good. Robert Caro has a horrible habit of repeating the same thing in every interview and every uh, panel and stage appearance he ever does. And I've seen dozens of them. So, you know, everything that came out of his mouth was mostly useless, but I enjoyed the tour of his office. And Lizzie did ask a few questions that forced him out of his comfort zone to say a few other things. And, uh, then of course I like the Gottlieb stuff a lot. Although, you know, that guy's a weirdo. <laughs> he collects plastic women's vintage purses. That was, that was great. Um, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a sucker for a weirdo and a collector. So good for him. Um, 
Yeah, so when they did the, they talked about this, and they did the Power Broker, they had to cut about 100,000 words from the book because it was too big. It literally couldn't be bound into one volume. They didn't want to go to two volumes. So they cut 100,000 words, and it was primarily about uh, the battle for the, I think they call it the Downtown Expressway, the Soho Expressway, I think the Soho Expressway, the one that would have continued Delancey Street straight on through to the tunnel and been as wide as Delancey Street, right through Soho, just dividing Soho in half. And uh, Carol got, or, um, Jesus, sorry, uh, Jane Jacobs fought it. So it was the battle between Jane Jacobs and Robert Moses, a topic which I think Edward Norton just recently did a play. I don't even know. That's really weird. I'm, I, I just don't know what to think of that. But anyway, they cut it all, and they have repeatedly claimed he, Caro is, this is one, the thing that annoys me most about Robert Caro is he just, I don't know where they are, I don't know, I don't know. But then he goes on and on about how he types everything he's ever written on the same kind of typewriter. I've heard this story so many times. He's got like 10 backups of this typewriter, and the, the, he's got a special deal with the people that made the ribbon, and they made him like enough ribbon to last the rest of his life, and, and he types all of his works on triplicate carbon copy paper right and uh i've known all this forever so right off the bat i'm pretty dubious of anybody that's like every time he's like i don't know where those words are they don't exist they don't exist it doesn't matter i'm just like yeah they fucking matter dude and then uh in the movie he's like and here's my cubby hole in my house that i've lived in for 50 years where every time i finish the day's work i take the carbons and i stuff them into this cubby hole it's like it's like a hole, like a crawl space hole above a closet, and it goes back like 20 feet parallel to his writing room. And so, I mean, how many pieces of carbon copy paper could you fit in, let's say, a 3 by 3 by 20 foot space, right? We're talking millions, right? Like picture a thousand page book and then picture 10 of those books that would fit along the wall. And you could definitely get 10 deep in there, right? You could probably get 20 or 100 deep in there. That's like a million pages. That's as much as he's ever written. Like, I guarantee you, in that stupid cubbyhole are the 100,000 pages they cut out of the power broker about Jane Jacobs and Robert Moses and the Soho Expressway that would be incredibly interesting, and he just doesn't care. He pretends it doesn't exist. So what's going to happen when he dies? Ayn is going to take care of it? I don't know. I mean, he struck a deal with the New York Historical Society, Society that gets all his pages, so presumably they'll get the carbons, and they can find the 100 pages of the power, 100,000 words of the power broker that's missing. But man, how long is that going to take? Is Ina going to allow publishment? I'm 52 years old. Is this even going to happen in my lifetime? I don't know. Do I have to brainwash my daughter to like make sure she keeps an eye out for it so she can read it and read it back to me through a Ouija board? I'm very upset with Robert Caro on this topic. But I digress. It was a good movie. I recommend it. Oppenheimer, I went opening day. I didn't have... Kind of got shafted by my wife, not going to lie. I wanted to do the Barbenheimer thing, but she was like, I don't want to see Oppenheimer, but I want to see Barbie, so don't go without me. So I was like, all right. So I went to Oppenheimer. It was filled with a bunch of ladies with pink on. Pretty cool. It's a good crowd to see a movie with. Uh, I wore my mask the whole time because COVID sucks, and it's still really bit bad here. But I didn't get COVID. And I watched the movie, and it was fine. It was a little confusing, not going to lie. But uh, not, I mean, it wasn't. The framing, with the black and white framing, and the color framing, and the two levels of framing, that, and, the, and the titles, uh, that was a little weird. But other than that, it was 
brilliant and beautiful. And it was the first movie I ever watched with Cillian Murphy where he didn't play Cillian Murphy or look like himself. That was something. And I kind of say the same for Robert Downey Jr. too. Definitely one of his best performances. Um, yeah, it was really good. I enjoyed it. Uh, my heartbeat raced through the roof and my watch was like, waking like hey dude you're having a heart attack he wasn't, wasn't saying that it was like fast heart alert fast heart alert when i was watching the nuclear blast part i was just like uh, yeah i don't like thinking about nuclear holocausts uh pretty problems a i guess he, i wouldn't call it a romantic comedy i'd call it a comedy on hulu my friend kestrin pantera grub directed it and uh it was really fun it was a good time and <laughs> introduced me to the concept of uh, husband dick normal dick just a dick it's just a normal dick you know husband dick so that was good it was pretty funny i enjoyed it the flash not as bad as everybody made it out to be that guy was actually a really good actor um it wasn't worth the blowback it wasn't so important or good or important to the mc uh, the dceu that they needed to put it out but you know what i kind of enjoyed it it was probably better than the last couple mcu films oh god that, that hurts to say but it's probably true 65 Adam Driver sci-fi flick on paper great idea executed terribly just no heart and it really tried to have heart and uh yeah it could have they should have they tried to split the difference they should have gone full on like the the predator the prequel god that movie was so good or gone like full on you know this is a movie with heart like interstellar and they tried to sort of balance between them and they just failed and they made something milk toast which is a shame because it's a great premise they cloned tyrone oh my god that was a brilliant film just amazing sci-fi black exploitation <laughs> so good god that film ruled strong recommend that's all i'll say about it great casting too people you've seen in a million films that films that you've never seen act like this two of them Jackie Chan police story, early Jackie Chan film, takes place in Hong Kong, famous kung fu police thing. I started it a long time ago, finished it up. It was good. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I could see how it's importance and influence, but uh, Jackie Chan's technical proficiency and like doing these visuals, uh, martial arts inspired gags and comedy just got so much better in his later films that you're like, yeah, this is good. This is like the prototype. Um, but, you know, uh, and <laughs> I watched it in dub with subtitles and it just, literally completely different so i could use a remaster watched wham exclamation point the wham documentary which i enjoyed um very disappointed didn't have the song andrew ridgely by black box recorder in it i think that's my only complaint i learned a lot actually i thought i knew a lot about wham but i didn't and i enjoyed that taylor swift reputation stadium tour i watched this because my friend Susie did and i was starting to feel some regrets about not going to the eras tour because i sold my tickets to some kids that wanted to go more than i did god they were so happy they sent me photos and i was like i felt like i was like you know doing a make-a-wish foundation kind of thing even though just like normal american preteens but uh the reputation tour i didn't go to i went to the 1989 tour and uh i'm glad 1989 tour was better than the reputation tour i still don't like reputation that much but it was very well shot and it's a great documentary and there's a really great stuff at the end about with the, the like the end credits with like her talking and stuff that just made me laugh <laughs> uh fast x oh excuse me the laundry's done i have to move it over to the dryer because my wife is having a slumber party at this house with her college friend tomorrow night be right back all right yeah emma's uh coming over to the new house tomorrow night and doing a slumber party with her college friend who lives over in Cary, and me and her her 
friend's husband are going to watch our respective kids. So they'll have a night off. I mean, whatever. I do bedtime every other night. <laughs> but I mean, it's, yeah, it's kind of fun. It's kind of a cool idea. I wish I had a college friend around here that I could do a summer party with. I mean, my college friend visits me here all the time. He lives in Wilmington. <laughs> but anyway, it's really cool. So I had to clean the sheets because I didn't wash them because Alice stayed over. But Alice commutes down here for work, and I figured she would just probably be the next guest again. So I wasn't going to wash the sheets until I knew there was another. This is not interesting. I will move on. <laughs> Where were we? Oh, yeah, Fast X. I don't really think we need to say anything about Fast X. I just had to watch it because I need to always be able to say I've watched all the Fast and Furious films. There was nothing new or interesting about this one. I guess we're supposed to be excited with the end credit scene that The Rock is making a comeback, but I'm not. I did enjoy watching Jason Momoa play a lunatic. Yeah, that was interesting and different, I guess. And the Jason Statham kid comedy stuff, which they had done back when the kid was a baby, was pretty clever. <laughs> Family. Uh, then we watched The Little Mermaid, new version. I did let my wife do that because she really wanted to watch it. And I just... You know, I've never... Well, I had recently watched The Little Mermaid on mute when I was in Wilmington visiting friends for Nick's birthday. So it was me and Nick and Sean and Megan, Nick's wife and Emma and Nick and Megan's kid, Henry, I think was still awake. So Megan and Emma were just like watching the little mermaid and they'd seen it like a million times. And Megan was, you know, going on about critical theory of the whole thing. And Emma was doing her singing all the songs. I had no idea what was going on. And <laughs> I was mostly talking to the dudes about like synthesizers or something. So then I, I was the old original one. And then I watched this one. I still had no idea what was going on and it changed. So, you know, every time there's a plot change, I was like, Oh, they're doing that that way. But it was still just like a wildly absurd, problematic film and very confusing. And I, not problematic because they, I guess they moved all, removed most of the problematic stuff, but it's just confusing. Like they introduced a bunch of plot changes to, from what I understand, fix a bunch of problematic stuff or, you know, diversify it or something, which is fine. I'm all for that. Don't get me wrong. But those changes then introduced major plot questions. <laughs> like, oh my god (laughs) anyway I I won't go into it (laughs) not for me let's just say and then I watched 3000 Years of Longing the George Miller film that he elected to to make before he got around to doing Furiosa the sequel to Fury Road and I was like well this dude decided this film was more important to make than Furiosa so it must be good. And you know what? It was pretty good. The film bombed it, right? $20 million budget. It did like $6 million at the box office. They think it did like less than a million its opening weekend on 2,300 screens in the U.S. alone. Just complete flop. But it did not deserve to be a flop. And the casting is excellent. The film was excellent. It was beautiful. It was sensual. It was just, uh, the cinematography was amazing. Like, he did a fantastic job with it, and it is a crying shame it did so poorly. It will probably make its money back. It's already profitable in America because they didn't pay that much for the American rights, and, you know, it's got streaming and all that, but... But man, it just sucks. Films like that can't, you know, they barely ever get made, and then when they do get made, nobody watches them. What is wrong with people? It's very upsetting. The marketing was not great, obviously. But even I, like, knew about this film and saw the, 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 the title of it everywhere in the casting. And I still was like, I had no idea what it was about even if I started the film. <laughs> it's a genie film. I will tell you that. 
but it's better than that sounds. Based on a novel, novella, by A.S. Byatt, who I always really liked when I was younger and moodier. I should read some A.S. Byatt again. I wonder if she, how she is these days. Is she still writing books? Is she still alive? I have no idea what's up with A.S. Byatt. Anyway, those are all the films I watched in the seven or so weeks since I last seen you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, four, fifteen films. So that's like about two a week. Not bad, not bad. I'll take it. Books. The Mimicking of, Mimicking of Known Successes by Melka Older. I may have talked about this in the last podcast. I watched a interview roundtable between two people who I don't remember. One is the author of a bunch of cozy sci-fi books I really liked. A woman. And I told you guys about these books. And I can't remember their names or anything. <laughs> Oh, my God. And the other one was another famous uh, Roxanne Gay. That's who the other one was. Becky Becky Swanson, something like that. Um, anyway, they were talking about cozy sci-fi, which I think is like a sort of more political and feminist version of my dream of plotless sci-fi. But I think we're both chasing the same thing. Comforting sci-fi that shows how the world could be a better place and inspires without having a plot based on terror necessarily. And uh, they mentioned this book, The Mimicking of Known Successes by Melka Older. And so I was like, well, okay, I'm, I'm all for this. this. Cozy sci-fi is the closest I'm ever going to get to my plotless sci-fi dream, so let's go read it. So I read it, and it was great. It was like a, kind of like a, a Sherlock Holmes kind of book that takes place on a moon of Saturn, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, then I read The Wager, The Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny, and Murder by David Gran. One of those must-read-this-summer books. All my friends on this Slack I'm on were all gung-ho about David Gran. Oh, my God, they love him so much. He's got to read these books. His new book's coming out. I've never read any David Gran. I don't know anything about him. So I picked this one up so I could, you know, keep up with the Joneses. And uh, it was good. They're all like, it's not as good as his other ones. And I'm like, okay, I can see that. Because, I mean, this is a great book. It's a great uh, ripping yarn, as they would say. A, a tale. An adventurous tale. Almost too incredible to believe. But true and he did a lot of great research and it's very clear he's a very skillful researcher and writer and he really keeps you gripped so i would strongly consider reading other books by david gran and some of you are probably david gran fans and they're like jesus rick get with the times and you're absolutely right i gotta catch up doom whoops microphone unplugged again doomsday book by connie willis I read an article that was like, Connie Willis is the most underrated sci-fi author of all time and one of America's greatest sci-fi authors. I'm like, I have never heard of her. So I would totally believe this book being saying she's underrated because I've never even heard of her. So, you know, it mentioned this book about time traveling Oxford historians, starting with a book called The Doomsday Book. And I was like, well, that sounds great to me. So I read it. And in fact, it was great. A book about time-traveling Oxford historians. Boy, I learned a lot about the Dark Ages and the plague. And boy, the plague sure sucked. I made the mistake of telling my daughter that when she asked me what the worst illnesses were. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess the Ebola these days, but probably the plague. And she's like, how bad was the plague? And I'm like, bad. And she's like, how bad? I'm like, bad. And she's like, what percentage bad? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, on a scale of 0 to 100% bad. I'm like, a hundred percent bad <laughs> like it killed half of europe she keeps doing this and i keep answering honestly she handles it with equanimity she can definitely deal with it but i just i don't like telling her about stuff like this that's what school's for contractor's guide to business law and project management north carolina general contractors eighth or eighth edition 
that's the book you read to start getting your general contracting license in North Carolina, which I do not intend to do, but my partners at the pool contracting company are. And I figured as their bookkeeper, maybe it, it did have a couple sections on bookkeeping and, but it wasn't anything I already didn't know. It's like, use QuickBooks. I'm like, thank you for your help. Thank you very much. Project management, business law and project management contracting North Carolina book. The Great CEO Within, The Tactical Guide to Company Building by Matt Mukari. Not terrible, but not super helpful. I picked up one or two great habits. I admired its bre brevity-driven format and the way it was like just a list of pointers to other pieces to read. <laughs> Best thing to read on this topic is this. Go read that instead of me talking about it here. But basically, if you want the overview, it's these three bullet points. So I like that. It was a quick read. Um... There was some stuff I really enjoyed. There's some stuff I vehemently disagreed with. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It was worth it. Not a waste of time. Uh, Rememberings by Sinead O'Connor. Her autobiography. Oh, I miss her. And that was a very harrowing read. At least the first half. The second half was much more pleasant. Uh, I talk about Sinead constantly in my daily newsletter. And I'm very broken up by her loss. And I went to Walmart this morning and they were playing Mandinka. And I was like, how are these people? How is anybody here focusing? And I'm just like walking around Walmart in a daze singing Mandinka. And like nobody else notices. And I feel like an alien from another planet. And I'm like, how would Sinead O'Connor feel about being played in Walmart? Is that good or bad? And who's profiting off of this now that she's dead? And I'm just like, I just like, I can't, I can't, I can't be a normal person. It was really rough. Uh, but the book is great. Um, learned a lot. Uh, I don't know. It's like I, I almost don't want to talk about it. I guess the most important thing to say is the chapter on Prince is totally bonkers and you should read it. Just completely insane. Uh, I read The Indictment of Trump in Georgia. Is that a book? I don't know. Did I feel good about it? No. I've read all the Trump indictments. All four now. And uh, it doesn't bring me any joy to read them. And uh, you, you never really learn anything new. Everything's sort of like out there beforehand. But you get a little bit of insight into the law and things like that. Um, yeah, I still think about all that shit all the time. But I don't think today is the day to talk about it. Got to see his mugshot last night, though. I did a, I'm not going to lie. I watched a little MSNBC to wait for the mugshot last night. That was kind of satisfying. Uh, Anais Nin, A Sea of Lies by Leonie Bischoff. It's a graphic novel based on the first two volumes of Anais Nin's unexpurgated diary. Not to be confused with her, The Diary of Anais Nin, which was expurgated. This would be based on Henry and June and incest. She seems to have skipped fire, or maybe I'm getting the order wrong. Anyway, no, fire came after. That's the one with uh, Gonzalo. Yes, Gonzalo. Anyway, uh, it's really beautiful. It's really good. It's out on Amazon. It's recent, newly released in America with a translation. I think it came out in France first. I'm just assuming, but I don't know for sure. And uh, it's, it's gorgeous. And if you don't know anything about Anna Nin and you want the quick version, there you go. <laughs> and uh, Are Your Dreams at Night, 1985 Sizes Too Big by Graham Holiday, which is a book entirely about the 1985 show by Spaceman 3 at one specific venue in Northampton, England, called The Black Lion. The first time they ever played at The Black Lion, uh, one of their very first shows, Pat Fish, a.k.a. The Jazz Butcher, was there, which led to them getting signed to Glass Records and then on to Fire Records and, of course, kicking off uh, their illustrious career. And, uh, you know, it's the book was originally a medium essay because Graham Holiday, the author, was at this 1985 gig, and so he decided later to expand it and talk to as many people as he could that were at the gig, including The Jazz Butcher and Sonic Boom, a.k.a. Pete Kember. Jason Pierce did not talk to him. Uh, and I learned some stuff, uh, mainly about other people and bands around the area of Northampton and rugby, where Space M3 were from. 
specifically Mark Refoy and Sean Cook, who later both went on to join Spiritualized. Mark Refoy was in Spaceman 3 briefly towards the end as well. And so that was interesting, learning all these dudes were, I think also Mark Refoy, by the way, is married to Elizabeth Frazier from the Cocteau Twins. Do I have that right? Somebody from Spiritualized is married to Elizabeth Frazier from the Cocteau Twins. And Mark Refoy stayed at my house once in Alston, Massachusetts. I have his autograph, so that's pretty cool. I have it on a couple things, actually. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's, this is a train spotting book for hardcore Spaceman 3 fans, so unless that applies to you, I would not bother to read it. Elizabeth Fraser is not married to Mark Refoy. She is married to Damon Reese, who also makes an appearance in this book and was also in Spiritualize at one point. I apologize for the incorrect information. Thank you for listening to this extended edition of the Web Chatham Report. Drop a line, tell me you said hi, and I will do it back. Take care. <laughs>